Hey, what's up? Welcome. Welcome current listeners. Welcome new listeners. This is the Will Ford Show. It has been a crazy week in sports. We had the Super Bowl, which was an amazing game. Some crazy NBA trade deadline moves that occurred. The Cavs blew up their entire team. That is huge. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to jump right into the Super Bowl. We had an amazing Super Bowl this past Sunday. The Philadelphia Eagles stunned the whole sports world and the Patriots. 41 to 33. I honestly didn't expect this and I don't know who did. Nick Foles was incredible in this game. Tom Brady was his goat self as as usual, but Philadelphia's defense honestly might have been the story of the game or one of the stories. They kept putting pressure on Brady all game long. Brady lost Brandon Cooks early in this game with a head injury. He just got lit up by Malcolm Jenkins. And New England's defense was god-awful, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Like, Like I said last week, and I also tweeted this on the day of the game, win or lose this game, nothing was going to happen to Tom Brady's legacy. He is still the greatest quarterback of all time. He's been to eight Super Bowls more than anyone else. And he's won five. That's more than any other quarterback. Losing this game wasn't going to change anything for me, and it shouldn't change anything for anyone. Now, some people think he's the loat, the luckiest of all time, and that could potentially be true. He's gotten lucky in a few Super Bowls, the Malcolm Butler interception, David Tyree catch, the Mario Manningham catch. So he's gotten lucky in a few Super Bowls, but it's still you still have to be great to get there eight times. So he is definitely the greatest of all time. And it appears that Brady's only kryptonite is the NFC East. He's lost to Eli and the Giants twice in the Super Bowl, and then he just lost to the Eagles. Tom Brady, his record now in the Super Bowl is... Five in NFC East. (laughs) Now there was some controversy at the the end of this game. Uh, The Patriots had the ball late, down eight, had a Hail Mary opportunity at the end of the game. And Tom Brady threw it up to Gronk in the end zone. And there was some controversy on this play. There was a few calls that I think... One definitely you could have made. Another one was debatable, and and the other two were debatable. Number one is there were about six guys in the end zone surrounding Gronk, and there was contact with Gronk before the ball even got there, so you could have called pass interference. I'm okay with it either way, but you could have called pass interference. Two, Chris Hogan, 15 yards down the field, was blatantly shoved by, I believe it was Malcolm Jenkins, blatantly shoved, thrown off of his route. Should have been a legal contact. 
And number three, you could argue Tom Brady was roughed after the pass, roughing the passer. And there was a lot of other controversy in this game. Two huge calls that went the Eagles' way in terms of catches. Corey Clement caught a pass in the end zone and for a touchdown, and they went and reviewed it, and he bobbled it. He caught it and then bobbled it, and his foot was out of bounds, and they still kept it as a touchdown, and I honestly thought it was incomplete. He had control when he first caught it and had the two feet. Then he bobbled it, got one foot, and the other foot was landed out of bounds, meaning that's not a catch. The ball was literally floating in his, in his body. It wasn't even pinned to anything. If it had been pinned to something, sure, but I don't think he ever really had control until he was out of bounds and hit the ground. And then Zach Ertz had one to put the, put the Eagles up, uh, up a score. Well, not a score, but just up late in that game where he caught it, took three steps and dove, and the ball came out as he crossed the goal line. When he made contact with the ground... The ball came out. So, yeah, I don't understand what it, what it catches anymore. I, I, I agree with the Zach Ertz call because he became a runner. He took three steps and dove, it looked like. So I agree with that call. But the Corey Clement one, I don't agree with. I, I don't understand what a catch is anymore. I don't know what a catch is and isn't anymore. You could argue that the Des Bryant catch in 2014, he became a runner because he caught it, took three steps and dove for the goal line, and the ball popped out. You could argue that's a catch. The Jesse James catch earlier in the season, that went against the Steelers. I don't know what a catch is or isn't anymore. Roger Goodell said he is going to re-examine the catch rule and come up with a better rule and try to change it to make sure it's clear for everybody. But those were two big calls in that game that went the Eagles' way. Those, those were huge plays. And there were many stories attached to this game. The Eagles' offensive line was incredible. They gave Nick Foles a lot of time in the pocket to make throws. He was hardly pressured at all. The Eagles defensive front was incredible. They they didn't get a lot of they didn't get any they got one sack on Brady and the it was a strip sack at the end of the game that allowed the Eagles to go up eight. That was the biggest play of the game. Strip sack by Brandon Graham that really helped them basically seal it, even though the Patriots still got another possession. That Eagles defensive front was on Brady all night. They never necessarily made contact with him, but they forced him to get the ball out early. And then I think the one of the bigger stories of the game was the play calling by the Philadelphia Eagles and Doug Peterson. I think this game was won for the Eagles by play calling. They had a fourth and goal trick play before halftime, a double reverse pass to 
Nick Foles in the end zone. That was an incredible gutsy call that worked perfectly. And then fourth and one on their own side of the 50 in their own territory with five to six minutes left down 33 to 32. That play really helped the Eagles secure the lead because if they punt away there, if they do, if they don't get that fourth and one, then the Patriots likely go down and score, and we're looking at six-time champion Tom Brady. Doug Peterson and his staff decided how they were going to play New England two weeks ago in a small meeting room. Two weeks ago, they decided how they were going to play. They decided they were going to be aggressive. They kind of fell under the mystique of the Patriots, but in a different way than I thought they would. The Eagles felt like the only way they could beat New England was by being uber-aggressive. Because the mystique of New England doesn't only make teams become down on them on themselves when things start to go bad, but it can also make a team do crazy things, be aggressive, and call trick plays to make them feel like they can win. It's a really dangerous proposition, but it paid off. And a huge story for the Patriots, Malcolm Butler did not see a single snap on defense at all. Bill Belichick said it was a football decision and was what was best for the game plan. And Malcolm Butler said that the Patriots, quote, gave up on me. I don't understand why this would happen. Butler is the Patriots' best corner, arguably their best defensive player, doesn't make any sense. This had to have been for some kind of disciplinary reason. He had to have violated some kind of team rule or something. Why else would you best bench your best cornerback for the Super Bowl? Reportedly, the decision to start, start Eric Rowe and bench Butler came right before the game, right before the National Anthem. What kind of decision is that? The guy played 98% of your snaps all year, started every single game. He played 98% of the snaps in the playoffs, too. And he even won you a Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I mean, because, come on, let's face it. If the... Seahawks run it with Marshawn Lynch from the two-yard line. They win that game. They win that Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler is the reason why they have a Super Bowl. What would have been their fourth one. He won you a Super Bowl a few years ago, and then he doesn't see a single snap on defense in this game. It doesn't make any sense. Belichick has said all he's going to say about this. He's not going to say any more. That's just the way Belichick is. 
Their relationship is obviously in bad shape. It has to be. More has to come out about this eventually, too. I mean, are they just going to leave us in the dark on this? Because to me, I think Malcolm Butler is probably on his way out now. I believe he's going to be a free agent after this year, so he's got to be gone. I think this decision by Bill Belichick has probably cost the, the Patriots the Super Bowl because Nick Foles torched the Patriots secondary. And Malcolm Butler could have really stopped bleeding and really made a difference for the team. And speaking of Nick Foles, I think there's a real market for him now. I think the market is a first-round pick at least, plus another pick. The only problem with Foles is that he's a system quarterback, though. He's most efficient when your offense runs RPO sets. The Eagles looked at work, what worked for Foles under Chip Kelly when he had that amazing 27-touchdown-2-pick season, and they built their system around those sets, and it worked to perfection in the playoffs. Foles was incredible in the playoffs. If I'm the Eagles, I'll probably keep Foles for at least another year so that, number one, he can help keep and develop Carson Wentz, or not keep, help teach and develop Carson Wentz, and two, the Eagles have him if Wentz were to go down again. Now, obviously, if you're blown away by a trade offer, like a first and a second or a first and a third, Take it, obviously. But otherwise, I would hold on to Nick Foles for at least another year. Because a team like Arizona, if they don't trade for him and they try to get him in a year, he could be one of those guys like a Brock Osweiler or, or something that can make around $18 million. 15 to $18 million. It's a little much for a guy that works only in one specific system. But hey, if you are committed to building your offense on that kind of system, then by all means, go after Nick Foles. And now after this game, people are asking if the Patriots dynasty is over. If Brady and Belichick come back, no, it's not over. Heck, if just Belichick comes back, it's not over. Belichick has been the most important person to the Patriots dynasty than anyone else, including Brady. Brady has said he's coming back, though. But Belichick may not. I think it's a 50-50 deal. I don't know. I think it's 50-50 that this is Brady and Belichick's last ride together. If Belichick leaves, I think it's over. 
As it stands right now, the Patriots are the favorites to win the Super Bowl next year, according to Vegas. That's assuming everything stays the same and there's and no one leaves. But Belichick could be gone. And we didn't even consider this. There's a possibility that Rob Gronkowski could be gone too. He he came out and said after the Super Bowl, but after the Super Bowl, that he thinks he retirement is a possibility because of the toll football has taken on his body. I think there's a slim chance of that happening. I don't I don't think he would retire. There's reports out there that Dwayne Johnson and Sylvester Stallone wanted him to pursue a, a, an acting career. I don't I don't necessarily think Gronk will do that. Although I think he would be very successful. I don't think he's going to do that. But if it did, that could have a huge effect on on the team season next year. The Patriots have won a Super Bowl without Gronkowski. It's not that they can't win a game without him. But in terms of a whole season, that could have an effect. And I know Brady didn't have Edelman this year, but he still had Brandon Cooks and Amendola and Chris Hogan. So, but if you take your best tight end out, your biggest target, you've got Dwayne Allen at tight end. And I mean, he's not horrible, but he's not Rob Gronkowski. There's a lot of questions right now surrounding the Patriots. And I, and I don't know how it's going to shake out. And huge news broke a few days ago that Josh McDaniels is backed out of the Indianapolis Colts job. And he's decided to stay in New England. Now Matt Patricia has already been named the new Detroit Lions head coach, but McDaniels agreed to terms with the Colts but before the Super Bowl, before the playoffs, but he, he can't sign any papers. He can't put pen to paper until after the Super Bowl because that's the rule. But McDaniels backed out, and that could mean one of two things. The Patriots told McDaniels the head coaching job is his in a few years after Belichick retires, or... Belichick could be gone now. He could be done. It has to mean one of those two things. From a football standpoint, along with that, McDaniels could be actually doing it for family reasons as well. It may not be just to do with football. McDaniels is 41 with four kids who are pretty young. And education in New England is like top of the line in the country. There's 90 plus prep and boarding schools in New England, in the New England area. And New England is the top, one of the top areas in the country in terms of education. So from that standpoint, I get it. From a family standpoint, absolutely. But if you're just looking at football, I'd much rather coach in Indianapolis than New England. 
mainly because you have Andrew Luck at quarterback. Now, he's still hurt, but eventually he's going to come back to top form. You have a top draft pick this year in the draft. And you got a little bit of money and you got some nice pieces on defense. In New England, you have no insurance playing at quarterback. Tom Brady is going to be 41 at the start of next season. McDaniels could build Indy into a contender in the next year or two in a very weak AFC South division. I think the Patriots are going to fall apart soon, especially if they have no backup plan at quarterback. McDaniels and Luck could have been the next Goff and McVay, or Garoppolo and Shanahan. I think it was going to work great. I think it would have been amazing. But New England swayed it back over. And McDaniels basically curb-stopped Indy. That's that's huge. I, 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 it's so huge. I just can't believe that McDaniels would back out on his word like that. It's crazy. Well, we're going to move on. The NFL Honors Awards happened last Saturday. So I'm going to take you through who won what award. MVP, no surprise, was Tom Brady. And someone actually gave it away. Uh, there was a picture of a guy uh, at the Super Bowl media day carrying around an acceptance speech for the MVP. And it said Tom Brady's, Brady's acceptance speech on it. So it kind of gave it away, but I think we all knew Brady was winning it anyways. Coach of the Year, Sean McVay from the Rams. That was a no-brainer. I predicted that. Offensive Player of the Year was Todd Gurley. I also got that one right. He had a tremendous year from scrimmage. The Rams had a great year. Defensive Player of the Year was Aaron Donald. I had him in the list of my people that I thought would win that award. I threw out Calais Campbell as the winner. That was my guess. Aaron Donald, though, is probably the best defensive player in football. So no surprise that he is the defensive player of the year. Offensive rookie of the year was Alvin Kamara from the Saints. I had either him or Kareem Hunt, and Kareem Hunt just because he was the leading rusher in the league as a rookie. So I wasn't really sure, so I got that one half right. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Marshawn Lattimore. He had a tremendous year with the Saints and has established himself as a top corner in the league. I got that one right. Comeback Player of the Year was Keenan Allen. Nailed that one. And then I forgot an award. This is a huge award. I don't know how I forgot this one last week. But the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award went to J.J. Watt. And deservedly so. He had, he did it. Amazing, amazing work for Hurricane Relief in Houston and raised millions and millions of dollars for Hurricane Relief. He did an outstanding job. 
deservedly wins the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. And the 2018 Hall of Fame class for the NFL has been announced. Here is the list. Bobby Bethard, Robert Brazel, Brian Dawkins, Jerry Kramer, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Tara Owens, and Brian Erlacher. That is a loaded class. Randy Moss, this is his first time on the ballot, and he gets in. And I am so happy for Tara Owens. Tara Owens, it's been a long time coming for him. It's been far too long. He deserved to get in a long time ago. Ray Lewis was a beast. Brian Erlacher was a beast. Brian Dawkins was a beast. Bobby Beathard was a great GM. Yeah, it was, this is a great class. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I am probably going to go to that Hall of Fame ceremony in Canton. I am definitely on board for going to that. And I'm a Cowboys fan, so I love to go to the Hall of Fame ceremonies, induction ceremonies, whenever a Cowboy gets in, inducted. And Tara Owens, who's only a Cowboy for a few years, but I loved him when he was in Dallas. And Bobby Beathard wasn't a GM. I apologize. He was a player. My fault. I'm going to check. One of these guys was a GM. I thought it was Bobby Beathard, but hold on a second. It's not Robert Brazel. Is it? I think it's Jerry Kramer. Jerry Kramer, I think, is the guy who was a GM. Well, they were all former football players. I think it was Bobby Beathard. I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. This is very bad work by me. Okay, let's see. Yeah, I think it was Bobby Beathard who was the... Yes, Bobby Beathard was a general manager. I am sorry. Had it right the first time. Looks like i got to do my NFL homework. But this is a great class. Very happy for Terrell Owens. And it's the first time we've had two receivers in the same class since 1983. So this is incredible. Definitely looking forward to this induction ceremony. And then more big news in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo is now the highest paid quarterback in football. He and the 49ers agreed to a five-year, $137.5 million contract. He is now the highest paid player in football. That is incredible. And he's only started seven career games, and he's 7-0. I think he's definitely going to be a superstar. Some people might be a little skeptical just because of the sample size, but I love Jimmy Garoppolo. And now that he's the highest paid quarterback, 
That makes me wonder what kind of money Kirk Cousins is going to command on the market. Or guys like Drew Brees. Or Case Keenum. So, because Jimmy's now making about $30 million. So, we'll see how that shakes out with, the, with some other quarterbacks in, in free agency. And then speaking of Kirk Cousins, the drama for him may not be over in Washington. Washington wants to try and trade Kirk Cousins instead of letting him walk. And to do that, they would have to tag him again. I don't think teams are going to want to trade for a guy that's going to make around $30 million on the tag. I don't think that's going to work for a team. Teams aren't going to want to give up assets to trade him because teams hope to add him to those assets to build a great team. I don't think teams are going to trade for him. And if the Redskins do tag him and then nobody wants to trade for him, that could severely damage their cap space, which can hurt their ability to sign free agents. It would be a very risky move, to say the least, if the Redskins tried to do that. I definitely would not do that. You already have your quarterback in Alex Smith. It's a it's a good thought to try to trade Kirk Cousins, but since he's not under contract, he's not under a proper contract over multiple years, it can be very difficult to trade a guy who is probably making more than what he's worth on the market. And teams are going to have to give up some valuable assets for him. I just don't think it would work. It's a, it's a good thought. It's the right thought process, but... It's extremely, extremely risky to do that. All right, we're going to move on to the NBA. Another big injury. Kristaps Porzingis of the New York Knicks tore his ACL in his left knee. And he's now out at the minimum 10 months. Now with this, the next season is over. I think they they would have I think they would have made the playoffs this year as a lower seed, maybe, maybe not. But now they're they're definitely not going to make the playoffs now. And now Team LeBron is down another man. It seems like LeBron is he picked all the guys that got hurt: Boogie, John Wall, Kevin Love. Porzingis, that's crazy. And now LeBron is getting guys he didn't pick on his team. But I wish KP all the best for a speedy recovery. He is a great player, tremendous talent. That's really unfortunate. All right, now we're on to the, the big, big news going on today in the NBA. The Cavs have that they've exploded as a team in terms of playing poorly. They they were they've been horrible. They lost to Houston at home, got blown out. 
They lost to the Magic. And they got a big win last night over the Timberwolves on a buzzer beater by LeBron. But the Cavs have also exploded their whole team. Six guys have been shipped out of Cleveland. Nobody was trying in Cleveland. It just seemed like everybody gave up, gave up including management. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, my notes are all jacked up. I had some good notes for today about the Cavs and about LeBron and some trade ideas, but right now we're just going on the fly with this. Uh, I, I was going to say that the Cavs should trade IT, and I was thinking about Kemba Walker, but the Cavs traded IT to the Los Angeles Lakers. Traded Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye and their 2018 first-rounder, not the Brooklyn pick, their own first-round pick, to the Los Angeles Lakers for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. This is a great deal for Los Angeles. And the reason why it's great is because Jordan, Jordan Clarkson's a good player, but he's making a little too much money. He is overpaid. So they're freeing up that money. Nance is a good player, but he's going to have to get paid here in a year. We ship those, not we, but the Lakers ship those guys out. They bring in IT who's only making $6 million. Channing Fry is also on a cheap contract. And they get a first-round pick because they don't have a pick this year. And this deal gives them the flexibility to be able to sign two max free agents this summer. This is huge. And in the process, they get better. Like Isaiah Thomas is going to help them. I think the reason why Isaiah Thomas has been playing so bad is just because he's had to adjust to playing with other stars. Like, he's used to being the man. He was the man in Boston. So now he's going to get a chance to be the man in Los Angeles. And who knows? The Lakers said they want to keep Isaiah Thomas. They don't plan on buying him out or, or letting him go after the season. They said they would like to keep him. And they want to keep Channing Frye, too. So... I don't know. This is this is wild. And for the Cavs, it makes sense too because they get rid of a toxic guy from the environment. And LeBron and it didn't mix. They're giving up their probably their best three point shooter in Channing Frye, but they're getting two guys that can bring a lot of energy to the Cavs. Clarkson and and Nance are good defensive players. They bring a lot of energy. They're not necessarily floor spacers, but Clarkson can definitely create his own shot off the bench. And Nance can give you good minutes rebounding. He can rebound, he can play defense, and he's a great energy guy. And it, it makes sense for the Cavs why they did this. 
And for the Lakers going forward, I have a little bit of a hot take here. This is off the top of my head. There are only six games out of the eighth seed in the Western Conference. They're getting IT. It's going to take them a little bit to figure it out playing. Isaiah and Lonzo will reportedly start together. Lonzo will be the point guard, and IT will play off of him. I think the Lakers actually have an outside chance to make the eighth seed in the playoffs. They could actually be a playoff team this year. That's a hot take, but I think the Lakers can make the playoffs if they play well enough and Isaiah, if Isaiah can get back to top MVP form. I really do. This is crazy. And then the Cavs blew up even more of their team today. They traded away Iman Shumpert, Jay Crowder, and Derek Rose. And got George. This was a three-team deal. They got George Hill from the Sacramento Kings, who is a is a solid point guard, solid veteran point guard, and they got a young shooting guard, Rodney Hood. That that makes a lot of sense too, because Derrick Rose is old and hasn't been doing anything. Well, he's not necessarily old. He just looks old, just because he doesn't play that well anymore. He's very injury-ridden. Jay Crowder has been playing horrible. And Shumpert's been hurt and has never been what the Cavs have wanted out of that wanted him to be. So, and they're they're getting some quality guys. George Hill will probably start, and then Clarkson will be the the scorer off the bench. And Rodney Hood is very serviceable. So he's a very good young piece who can give you 16, 17 points a game. I think the projected lineup now for the Cavs is George Hill at the 1, Rodney Hood at the 2, LeBron, Tristan, and then it would be Kevin Love if Kevin Love was playing, but obviously Kevin Love isn't there right now. And he won't be until about two weeks to go in the season. So I would say it might be Larry Nance, maybe? Larry Nance Jr. and then Tristan at the 5, maybe? That would be a better lineup, and I think that team would actually have better chemistry because most of those guys are they are not superstars. It's much easier for a team of role players and serviceable starters to gel than it is for superstars to gel. We saw it in OKC this year. We saw it with the Heat back when LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh formed their super team. It doesn't always work out right away. So, I think this team has a chance to gel a lot better. The only problem with making all these trades is the Cavs couldn't figure it out as it is, and these guys have been playing together for all season, aside from IT only being back for about 15 games. So now it's going to take the Cavs even longer to try to figure it out, figure it out as a team. 
It's crazy. I, I'm just blown away. I am stunned. And another trade they made that kind of gets lost in all of this is they, they traded Dwayne Wade away. Dwayne Wade is going back to the Miami Heat. And in return, the Cavs received a heavily protected, quote-unquote heavily protected second-round pick. And I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a protected second-round pick. So there's that for you. But now Dwayne Wade, I think Dwayne Wade wanted out of that situation. I think Dwayne Wade knew it wasn't working and he just wanted out. There were reports that he requested the trade. So now he's going back to his home. He is a Miami kid. He's a Miami guy. He is the city of Miami. It, it, it seemed like when Dwayne Wade left Miami and he went to Chicago for a year, it just didn't feel right. And then he came to came to Cleveland. It just didn't seem right. It just it always felt it just felt wrong. But now with him being back in Miami, he'll get to play. He won't have to take a lesser role like he did in Cleveland. That's part of the reason why it didn't work out is because he, he's not used to having to take a lesser role. And plus, he's aging. He can't do some of the things he used to do. So, yeah, now Dwayne I, – I predict Dwayne Wade's probably going to retire after this season. He's going to retire a member of the Miami Heat. He's going to finish off the year there. And they even have a chance to make the playoffs. They're, they're – right now, as the season stands, they're in the playoff picture. So, Dwayne Wade could be still in the playoffs. So he's going to ride off into the sunset in Miami, I think, after this season. And as far as the Cavs, they're still going to make the playoffs, obviously. This makes them better. I don't know how long it's going to take them to figure it out. But they are a better team. I still don't think they're going to win the Eastern Conference. I really don't think they're going to win the Eastern Conference still. But the one thing I do like about all these moves they made, getting some of these young players, is that it kind of sets them up for life after LeBron if LeBron were to leave. Like these are great complementary pieces for Le and like to to put around LeBron. But if LeBron leaves, you still have a a, a decent team. You don't have a superstar. But you'll have a decent team. You'll have Clarkson. You'll have Nance. You'll have Ronnie Hood, George Hill. So they'll be fine. But now this kind of renders the deal they made with Boston completely useless. Like they definitely should not have traded Kyrie Irving away. Absolutely shouldn't have. Really, the only thing that the Cleveland Cavaliers got out of that trade was the Brooklyn pick. And it's not even that valuable. And which, by the way, they can't trade that pick now because that's the only first-round pick they have. Trading their first-round pick to the Lakers meant that they cannot trade away their Brooklyn pick until the draft. But I wouldn't trade it anyways because, again, if LeBron leaves, that is a 
that could potentially lead to a future piece for this team. So that's why you got to keep it. I think this was a move that helps them stay relevant right now, helps them contend now, but it also sets them up for the future if LeBron were to leave. And reports are Dan Gilbert doesn't really care if LeBron leaves. So he's tired of building around LeBron, and I think that th all these deals showed that. I think it's a great move doing all of this. I love it. I think this is outstanding because it, it sets them up for life after LeBron. This is huge news. Completely threw a monkey wrench in my notes. Uh, but there was something else I wanted to talk about regarding LeBron. It's nowhere near as relevant now because of all this trade that's going on. But it is still a relevant topic, and it's still a possibility. But they were talking about a few days ago, the possibility of trading LeBron James and if LeBron should be open to a trade. My answer to that is no. Number one is because he he didn't want to waive his no trade clause, and he obviously that that doesn't matter now. But the thing is about trading LeBron is what team in their right mind is going to trade all of their assets to get LeBron James? They're going to have to gut their entire team just to get him, with no guarantee that he would sign back depending on the team that, that gets him. Like a team would have to give away all of their assets. So trading LeBron is is not an option. It wasn't. I mean, it is an option, but it highly unlikely that it would work. But the destinations for LeBron now are very interesting because this deal could could make him stay. I don't I don't know, but there was rumors that he would consider joining the Golden State Warriors if they freed up enough money to sign him to a max contract. That he would he would l listen to a pitch from them. He would consider it. Now I'm going to tell you right now. I think that that's just one big mind game being played by LeBron James. And there, he's playing this game in three different ways. Number one, he's trying to disrupt the chemistry in Golden State. If LeBron can make the Warriors feel like they have a chance to land LeBron, they would have to trade away either Clay or Draymond, or maybe both. Depends. Now, I don't think the, the Warriors would do that, but LeBron, with those rumors coming out, was planting a seed in the Warriors' head. Like, hey, like, hey, if we, if, oh, we have a chance to get LeBron. Le Le LeBron wants to come here. If we can land the best player in the world, I mean, who are we going to trade away? Like, LeBron is trying to plant the seed in their mind. That they have to do everything they can to get him. I don't think the Warriors would do it. I don't think they're that dumb. 
You never know. Two, by saying that he was urging the Cavs to make a move before the deadline, and dang, did they do a lot. It definitely worked. They, they made, they traded away six people. So, he definitely got to the Cavs in that regard. And then number three, he was telling teams like the Lakers to free up cap space, which they did by acquiring Isaiah Thomas and getting Jordan Clarkson off the books. So this was all one big mind game, and it definitely worked for LeBron. And the funny thing about that trade, like I just, just thought of this, that the funny thing about that trade is that helps <laughs> that helps the Lakers get LeBron. Like the Cavs basically allowed the Lakers the chance and the opportunity in the cap room to get LeBron James. Now obviously they took that into account before they made the trade. They had to have. They have to know that LA is a premier destination for LeBron. But the Lakers were going to trade Clarkson and either Nance or Randall regardless. If the Cavs weren't going to trade for him, the Lakers would have found another trade partner because they were going to free up that cap space regardless of who traded with them. So the Cavs wanted Clarkson and Nance. They wanted those two solid pieces. And really, it's a win-win for LeBron. LeBron can stay. If it, if it works out, they make it to the finals and, it, and they lose. Or if they don't make the finals, LeBron can have all the money he wants and go to L.A. And since they have room for two max deals, Paul George, come on over. LeBron's going to give Paul George a call. Ring, ring. Hey, Paul, come to the Lakers. Let's dethrone the Warriors. Because that's in LeBron's mind, too. He, LeBron wants to dethrone the Warriors. So, if he can't do it in the Eastern Conference, the West is where he may have to go to form a super team. So, yeah, this is huge. And now, I still feel like, even with these moves, I still feel like LeBron's going to leave. And right now, I'm going to give you the destinations he could be in, that he could go, and the percent chance that they happen. Again, this is all thrown off because of the trades today, so I'm just making these numbers up in my head. The chance he stays in Cleveland, I give it about a 10%, 5 or 10%. The relationship with him in the front office is toxic. It's almost broken beyond repair. And reports came out that LeBron didn't want the Cavs to trade Kyrie. He didn't want to trade for IT, and that trade was basically useless now. And there was reports that he cussed out multiple executives in a meeting. So I don't think he's going to stay in Cleveland past this year. But hey, you never know how this new, newly formulated team can shake out. If they make a solid run in the playoffs, LeBron could be re-signing in Cleveland. You never know. 
So I give it about a 5 or 10% chance. We'll go with 10. The Warriors, 0%. Like I said, it's a big mind game. No way he would go there. There's no way he'd even consider it. And if he did go there, his legacy would take a huge hit, massive hit. And LeBron's not about that. Like I said, he wants to dethrone the Warriors, not join them. The Spurs, I would give the San Antonio Spurs around 30%. Ah, no, check that. We'll give him 20%. He would get to play with Kawhi Leonard and Aldridge under the best coach in the NBA right now, Greg Popovich. And he's probably arguably the second greatest coach of all time. And there's a winning culture in San Antonio. It's a great environment. The only problem is, would LeBron want to control everything? And knowing his nature, he probably would. I don't think Greg Popovich would want that. I don't think he'd be having that. So, I give it about a 20% chance. Sorry, I was just getting a drink there. Uh, I, think I give it about a 20% chance. But I still think it's possible. Now the Houston Rockets, I give this about a 30% chance. Going there, LeBron gets Daryl Morey as his GM. He's probably the smartest GM in the league. And he gets to play with his buddy CP3. And James Harden is a top, definitely top five player in the league right now. Maybe top three. Who knows? Uh, you could have Durant, Curry, Kyrie, LeBron, James Harden in there. I There's so many players up there. Definitely top five. And that big three, LeBron... Chris Paul, James Harden would be incredible. The only issue would be that they would have a weak bench and not a lot of cap room. They would have to trade away guys like Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon to even free up enough to get LeBron. So I don't know if it would necessarily work, but I think that is the second best option for LeBron if he leaves Cleveland. And then the Lakers, I think, have the best – I think it's the best chance that LeBron goes there. Let me do the math here. Uh, 10, 20, that's 30 plus 36. Uh, okay, I give this – yeah, I give this about a 40% chance. I think this is where LeBron's going to end up this year because even though the Lakers got IT and the Lakers said they want to keep IT – I still think LeBron is in their plans. They said they're really looking at the 2019 class that's loaded in free agency, but man, if you have a chance to get LeBron James, you cannot pass that up. I don't know if Isaiah Thomas is going to be in their plans. If they if he played really well and he meshed with the team and they made the playoffs, like, that could throw a monkey wrench in things, but I don't know if the Lakers are going to keep him long term. I really, I'm really not sure about that. So if they let him go after this year, I think LeBron is definitely going to the Lakers. 
Now, he'd be joining the LeVar Ball Circus, but he absolutely loves Lonzo, though. And they have, they still have terrific young pieces, despite getting rid of Clarkson and Nance. They still have Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram. Like, if you can inherit pieces like that, Julius Randle's another one. If, if you can inherit those guys, that's great. And then you can entice Paul George over, and I think that there's a 50-50 chance Paul George comes over to the Lakers. And LeBron's got a great relationship with Magic Johnson. And, and on top of that, on top of basketball, LeBron can set up his entertainment career in Hollywood. We all know LeBron is enticed by L.A. We know he's in the entertainment field. He's done movies before. So, yeah. I, I think this is where LeBron is going to end up after this season. I give the Lakers a 40% chance to land LeBron James. Alright everyone, that's it for me. That was a jam-packed show. A lot of on-the-fly stuff. Follow me on Twitter, at the Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Please, guys, that, really, that would really help out a lot. That would help me get on the map a little bit. Oh, what a crazy show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me this week. Share this show with your friends, family, enemies please share thank you for listening this week guys we'll see you next week